sometimes, you know, you know that you're watching history unfold. It felt that way today, watching Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky speak to a joint session of the Senate and Parliament today. The question now is, what does this mean going forward? Will we look back at this day as a turning point when the war in Ukraine changed? Will we look back at this day as another lost opportunity, perhaps to better defend Ukraine against Russia? We shall soon see. MPs of all stripes stood today to listen to just one man. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky addressed a joint session for nearly 20 minutes, speaking through a translator. He told lawmakers here about what life is like there in his country that went from a fragile peace to war in a matter of hours and the horrors of the past three weeks since Russia's invasion, asking them to imagine what it would be like if their cities and towns were being attacked, their kids, their homes. Justin, can you imagine hearing you, your children, hear all these severe explosions, bombing of airport, bombing of Ottawa airport, tens of other cities of your wonderful country. You can see that our cities like Kharkiv, Mariupol, and many other cities are not protected just like your cities are protected, Edmonton, Vancouver. You can see that Kyiv is being shelled and bombed. Can you imagine someone taking down your Canadian flags in Montreal and other Canadian cities? I know that you all support Ukraine. We've been friends with you, Justin, but also I would like you to understand and I would like you to feel this what we feel every day. Can you imagine when you, when you call your friends, your friendly nation, and you ask, please close the sky, close the airspace, please stop the bombing. How many more cruise missiles have to fall on our cities until you make this happen? So while he thanked Canada for our support, he also asked that we and NATO allies do something, anything, to protect the skies over Ukraine, the pathway by which Russia has rained down death and destruction on his country for nearly three weeks now. We care. He knows that. Do we care enough? That's the question tonight. Will it, in fact, push Canada's allies to do more? Maybe not a no-fly zone, but something for them. Joining me now is Stuart Prest, lecturer in political science from Simon Fraser University. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Oh, good evening. My pleasure. Tell me about the impact of that speech. I mean, I've seen lots of speeches from foreign leaders in Ottawa. That one felt particularly tailored and well-tailored to a Canadian audience. Oh, absolutely. This uh, had a, a great deal of, of ceremony to it. We, it was a joint session of the, the House of Commons of, and the Senate. So there was a, a, a moment of, of special significance prepared for the speech. And, uh, and, and, and Mr. Zelensky rose to the, the occasion uh, simply by speaking about his experience and translating that experience to the Canadian context, essentially just inviting his listeners, uh, Canadian MPs and senators and, and the country as a whole to imagine exactly what it would be like to have the experience of Ukraine uh, replicated here in, in Canada, to have the idea of Canada's major cities, Edmonton and Vancouver, mentioned by name, to be subjected to, to Russian shelling, to be uh, a leader of, of the country subject to, to casualty reports daily, and then trying to invoke that experience for uh, how, how to explain that that to your your children and just to how difficult that is for a leader of a country or for indeed any any parent caught up in, in that kind of dire situation and really bringing home the idea of war is something that is uh, 
often seen as foreign in this day and age, something that happens in, in parts of the world that are not here, and really trying to bring that experience uh, home to Canadians and uh, and to use that to essentially call Canada out for the limited amount of support that it and its allies is providing to Ukraine and, and calling for more. It was certainly persuasive. Uh, I give it that listening to it. Uh, do you think it was persuasive enough to get what he not he wants? Well, it's it's very clear. Uh, the the explicit call was to close the skies, which uh, Im- implies a, a call for a, a no fly zone, and and so that is what uh, Mr. Zelensky is is asking for. But it's a very difficult thing. Well, it's something that Canada can't do on its own. We simply don't have the capacity, and even in in cooperation with NATO allies, uh, it would not be a a simple, straightforward thing to do. It would require uh, NATO uh, air forces to be. In uh, in actual direct contact and, and conflict with with Russian air forces, so it is essentially in order to close the skies. It's not just flipping a switch. It, it would require an engagement um, uh, of military on military, which could lead to uh, uh, an escalation of that conflict. And given that there would be uh, nuclear armed uh, belligerents on each side at, at that point, it uh, the, the the potential consequences could be uh, unimaginably dire. One of the things that's come up, uh, and again, uh, President Zelensky will address U.S. Congress tomorrow, which feels like perhaps an even more important speech because they can, in fact, uh, you know, implement some form of of protection of Ukraine skies if if needed. Um, but do you, are we reaching a point now where allies are going to find it difficult to watch the continued bombardment of civilians in Ukraine? and not at least find some kind of solution? If it's not a yes to a no-fly zone, it would have to be a yes to something else, I would think. I, yeah, it seems like this is a, a, a position that is untenable, unsustainable. Something's got to give. Uh, that uh, given the the bombardment, not only of Ukraine, but the bombardment of the in- imagery of the conflict around the world, it is constant. It is on all uh, social media, TikTok, on Twitter, and wherever you turn, you can see these images simply being uploaded from, from the front lines. This is a, a conflict in which everyone involved, uh, certainly on the Ukrainian side, has a has a, a cell phone. And so the, it's, it's inescapable. And these kinds of moments uh, uh, brought, brought about by Mr. Zelensky, who has been um, uh, so adept at translating that Ukrainian experience to the rest of the world, just makes it in, impossible to to uh, turn a, a blind eye to allow it to recede into the background, as so many other conflicts have, where effectively we saw similar levels of, of violence and indeed even in greater levels of violence in places like Syria, um, um, bombardment of, of Chechnya during the, the conflict there uh, a number of years ago now. Uh, it, there have been other instances where Russia or Russia-supported forces have done similar things, but this time the world doesn't seem to be able to turn away. And so that's going to continue the, the pressure for 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 allies to to do something, but but that something is going to be difficult to figure out. It essentially how can you channel, channel enough support and and not just humanitarian support, not just loans. That's re- not really going to resolve what is clearly a military situation. How can you channel enough military support to keep Ukraine fighting until the the Russian offensive essentially grinds to a halt? That seems like that could happen at some point. Russia has thrown a huge proportion of its armed forces into this into this onslaught, and they can't maintain that for, forever. But but how to give Ukraine what it needs to to, to make it through the night, uh, that's a very difficult question. And it doesn't seem like any ally, any member of NATO has an answer just yet. 
I have about 45 seconds left, Stuart, uh, but it feels like so far deterrence is always a one-way street. Uh, Putin deter deters us, but our nuclear powers, for instance, our nuclear capacity doesn't deter him. Uh, do you think that's going to change at any point? I, I think there, there, there does seem to be a question that is uh, left hanging in the air. Is that at, at what point is, is the world that we're ceding to, to, to authoritarian regimes that are, are willing to use force to get their way? What, at what point is it more important to try to push back at that world than to avoid the, the risk of some kind of uh, uh, conflict escalation? And, and it may be that uh, leaders around the world say there is no point, that effectively, no matter what happens in Ukraine, that, that risk will never be, never be ventured. But, but there May uh, there may come a, bri- a breaking point uh, before then, where where uh, the calls for for additional action become inescapable, and I think we're we're going to see just how uh, how much uh, resolve is, is left in in NATO, and and also the creativity uh, to find ways to support actors. It may be that there are other ways to support Ukraine to channel additional aid to the country in ways that are not so explicitly escalatory. And I think, I don't think we're ever going to get away from the idea that uh, uh, Putin has the rest of the world a little bit over a barrel because there is this seeming willingness to escalate where others are not. But that doesn't mean that we are helpless in the face of it. And so I think we're going to have to see a search for uh, additional resources here to channel additional military anti-tank weapons, anti-aircraft weapons, find things that will allow Ukraine to, to push back this menace. Stuart Prest, thank you so much for your time tonight. Always a pleasure. Thank you.